21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. My question was, Jasper, what are the pros and cons between Jasper and human copywriter? Yeah, I would love to. I'm, I'm, I think it's a good idea. I'm kind of excited. Okay, here it is. Okay, let's see. There are several key advantages that Jasper has over human copywriters. One, machine learning. Jasper is constantly learning and improving its output based on feedback from users. Human copywriters, on the other hand, generally do not have access to this sort of feedback loop, and so their work does not improve over time in the same way. Costs. Jasper is a one-time investment, while human copywriters need to be paid on an ongoing basis. Three, speed. Jasper can produce content much faster than a human copywriter, meaning that you can get your content needs met in a fraction of the time. Uh -huh. you, you want the, the rest of it as well, or you, you want to comment? Yeah, let me see the, what are the disadvantages, what does Jasper say? Okay, okay, okay. Uh, quality. While Jasper's output is generally of a high quality, it is not yet on the same level as that of a human copywriter. Flexibility. Jasper is not yet able to match the flexibility of a human copywriter in terms of being able to produce content on a wide range of topics. And scale. Jasper is not yet able to handle the volume of content that a human copywriter can, meaning that it may not be suitable for large-scale content projects. That's interesting. I'm curious about the scale one because you would assume with the AI, it would be able to just pump out tons of content. So I wonder if that's actually true or not, right? Um, I think that overall Jasper gave a pretty fair assessment. And I actually think that AI powered tools like Jasper for copywriting are, are great and effective. I think one of the challenges, not challenges, but I think for it's more content and sort of like matter of fact type of stuff, like Jasper is great. I think if you get into more direct response, very emotionally driven copy, uh, more nuanced type of copy, I think that, you know, there's probably still a good amount of time until Jasper or any other competing tool gets there. I, you know, I think maybe three to five years, maybe even longer, we'll have to see. So, uh, but I, really to me, the thought is, as a copywriter, if I could take something like like Jasper and write great copy faster, fantastic. You know, um, it's just like a, any any machine in a way, right? Where you still need an operator of the machine. Uh, you still need somebody to sometimes like make sure that that all runs smoothly. So, because I get that question from copywriters a lot, who say, or aspiring copywriters who say, you know, should I? What about AI? It's, it's const constantly, constantly. Uh, and then the answer a lot of the time for especially younger copywriters who are looking at copywriting as a way to create additional, like, you know, income, like a side hustle, whatever it is, you know, my answer is that because it's probably gonna take like five years. And so until Jasper's like, or something like Jasper can fully replace DR, like direct response, you know, really, um, copywriters, especially long format, like infomercial type of things and whatever it is, which can pay really well to a copywriter. And so my kind of answer is if you know, say you took this year to get really good and you make like $20,000 US, right? But okay, cool. Then the second year you're starting to get good and you make like 60 or 70,000, 
by the third year, you're really good and you're making, you know, 100,000 plus. By the fourth year, you can keep going down that path for a couple more years of making $100,000 plus per year in income. Or, you know, because you've got the skill, now you start your own uh, business, your own funnels, you do joint ventures, all those things. You're going to be way further ahead no matter what than if you never started because you're afraid of something that's going to happen in five years from now. And if you don't do copywriting right now and you have an aptitude towards it, aptitude towards it, then what is the thing you're going to do? Uh, so, yeah, that's sort of that's a long-winded answer, but it was a great, it's a great question, a great way to start. So, in five years, uh, you you would be able to to write your own uh, dissertation. You know what what will happen with our society? Then, sorry. No, no, those are great questions. Uh, you know, so. I think the colleges may very well, honestly, they'll probably have a big problem on their hands potentially, because I think the rule would be, no, you know, you're not supposed to do this. It's supposed to be your own original writing and, and thoughts and things of that nature. But if something like Jasper and other AI writing tools become so good that it's literally impossible to you know, distinguish between them and a human, then it's, I don't know how they would enforce that. So that'll be very interesting. I don't have an, an answer to it, but it's very interesting. The second part of that is like the idea. Because a lot of like writing and marketing and, and really what I love about marketing and copywriting and all that is it's really, really the ideas. Like I realized that a while ago where the writing, like I'm a good writer, but I'm not Ernest Hemingway. I'm, you know, there's times where I write stuff that I'm pretty pleased with, whether that's for a client or just my own personal love of writing. But really the reason I've sold over a billion dollars worth of stuff is is more about the ideas and the unique connections and little nuanced tweaks to take an existing idea and innovate or bring it into a new light. And so it may be that something like Jasper is great at the execution, but even for a dissertation, you're still, it's really the, your ideas. And so you're competing more and more on your ideas, which would probably be a net positive because if it makes a marketplace of ideas, it's even more competitive and people really focus on ideas and not worrying about the the writing part of it. You know, it may, it may lead to some pretty cool stuff. So I think it's fascinating. I really do. I don't, I you know, and I, lo I love to predict things, but yeah, I'm not sure where it'll go, but it's very interesting. Regarding storytelling, so basic, basically you, we started speaking about storytelling as well. You said ideas, connections, innovation. What makes a good story? I think a few things. There's the, the really traditional answer is kind of follows the hero's journey. The classic right structure that you find in stuff like the Odyssey. You know, Joseph Campbell was one who coined the term the hero's journey. And so it's sort of that classic quest story arc of uh, a person, a normal person or a hero, uh, having some event that calls them to action, that calls them to go on to a quest where it's a journey of, of both internal and external conflict and discovery, where they must overcome a series of increasingly difficult challenges to get to a, a first a resolution that they, that they think is a resolution, what they were really questing after. And then on the journey back home, they realized that there was an even deeper part to it. And so if you look at that from copywriting or novels or whatever it is, um, you know, I think that's pretty 
pretty pretty standard. I think other things from a from a marketing and direct response copywriting perspective that I often look at, it comes back again to emotionality and emotional connection. Because I can tell you a hero's journey story, but if you're not invested emotionally in the character or the hero, then it's not going to be that compelling. You need to have an emotional connection. And what usually leads to that emotional connection is that often we can see ourselves in the hero. Right? We're all a little bit narcissistic and vain. We all really we we wanna we we want to relate to the hero of the story of whether that's a hero or an anti-hero. And so if we do that and uh and become emotionally connected, then we root for we're more invested in the story and it'll lead us to the completion, which for Writing ads is very important because we want somebody to stick through the whole ad uh, and then ultimately buy. As you, as you spoke about emotions, it triggered me to my next question. What's the role of psychology? You know, psychology and, and really like neuroscience is something I've been, I've been playing with a lot more. So when you really look at it, the opening of any like good ad is, is really there's two things. It's either either emotion or curiosity or both. When you really look at it, the opening of any like good ad is, is really there's two things. It's either either emotion or curiosity or both. So you're either trying to create, you might tell an emotional story to start, right? Like um, 2011, I was at an outdoor school in Marble Falls, Texas making $200 a week and living in a double wide trailer when I got the call from my mom that changed my life. Your dad has cancer and it's pretty far advanced. It hit me like a ton of bricks to the gut. My whole world started to narrow in and went black, right? This is sort of my, that's part of my story for how I, I ended up going back home. My dad passed away from cancer and I discovered copywriting. But I can tell you that story in this emotional way where it's sort of like this, this emotional journey or I can tell you the same story with kind of like, um, what do a, what is a, what is a, a what is a girl at a poker table, uh, a Jack and Coke, and a billion dollars in sales have in common? What do those three things have in common? Well, they're all related to copywriting. Let me tell you how, right? And I can go into this story that way. How I met this girl at a poker table. We were drinking Jack and Cokes. She told me about copywriting. Now I've sold a billion dollars. So I can lead you that way as well. But the, the commonality there is actually is, is dopamine. So, right, like basically whenever we experience emotions, dopamine gets released in our brain. And when we're more curious, uh, same thing. It starts, the curiosity starts to activate our, our brain's reward circuitry. Uh, the dopamine receptors start to fire. And then we also really want the, the curiosity to be paid off. And so what dopamine does it releases or it increases attention and motivation, which is really important because if I'm trying to sell you something, then I want you to be paying attention to my messaging and I want you to be motivated to continue on with my messaging and then be motivated to buy. So it's actually very interesting. I only put this stuff together like a few, maybe a, a year ago where I really started looking at the neuroscience side of it. And so I was already doing all these things, but I, I, I didn't really realize that a lot of the commonality there is dopamine and, and it's really very interesting to think about. Where is the limit in using manipulation? I mean, uh, emotional manipulation. 
abstract level of words, uh, usage, etc.? Sure, that's a great, great question. And uh, you know, it's funny is I'm, I, I'm, I went to well when I finished college, it was as a philosophy major, and I had a certificate in applied ethics. So I've, I've spent a lot of time actually studying like ethics and morality and things. That doesn't mean I have. Uh, you know, like the more you study that, the more you realize that there's a lot of gray areas for all of these things, right? There's, there's a, it's, it's often not black and white, but ultimately I think that there's a couple of ways you look at it. One is that, because you can say the ends justify the means, but that's very sketchy very quickly, right? Like, well, if the product's great and it's really going to help people, then if you lie to get them there, but they're, but they're going to be helped, then, you know, where's the harm? And, and you're like, I, you know, where is the harm? But is lying okay? Do we want, you know, do I want to be lied to? Do you want to be lied to? Do I want to be told? Right. So I think it it really is very difficult. I don't know. I, I you know, I think there's sort of certain lines in the sand, like lying. Um, I think exaggerating claims. I, you know, really the way I look at it with marketing is the front, it's a newspaper test. So whatever I was saying, if it was published on the front page of the newspaper and my mom saw it or, or anyone else I esteem and respect who doesn't know anything about what I do, they saw that I had created this ad, this ad and and showed it and, and all the claims I made and everything I said, would people say, that's great? Or would they say, would they look at me differently in, in a negative light? That's a very subjective and personal, but it's, it's helpful, right? Because it removes a lot of the BS where there's certain things you know. And I, I have when I started out, like I started out, it was good. And then 2013, 2014, I was working with a company where it was like natural health type stuff. And, and I was making pretty big aggressive claims for them. And I really didn't know any better. And it was like, you know, like info products and guys. And I, I, I'm frankly, I'm pretty open to that stuff. I believe like that there's a lot of natural ways to, to deal with health challenges, but I also kind of knew it was a little bit sketchy and, you know, ultimately I moved on from that. Uh, but I think, you know, my point is, I think, you know, when, when you're sort of pushing the line, but it's like pornography when they say, you know, when you see it, right. I think you kind of know. And so would it pass the newspaper test? Is there, or where is the border between, uh, your reality and your abstract world? Because you are so much immersed into copywriting and because of your university, major and because uh, of the whole transformation so it's i i suppose hundreds if not thousands of pages and books and everything so did you ever cope with that uh, question what reality is where is the border between my personal reality and the ab ab abstract world that i am developing for so many years i mean i love it that's a great question this is right up my alley to jam on so I think a couple of things like on a very practical level, I go back to that scene from the matrix where the, the guy is having the steak and he's like, I know the steak's not real, but I don't care. You know, I think I, I, I have to do the same thing to just to live my life. Right. So on one hand, it's like, just, I can go down so many, you know, are we like a, a brain in a vat? Are we a little, you know, grain of sand, like one universe in a massive multiverse, like all the crazy things you can, you know, the paths you can take. Uh, but I generally try to like accept 
reality as, as objective as I can, as objectively as I can and, and stay grounded in it and, and not just like writing or books or reading or learning, but experience, right? Experiencing that reality, uh, going outside and, and even having discomfort, being in touch with the physical reality, right? So like physically grounding yourself, uh, sunshine, air, things of that nature. Uh, on the other hand, I think that your reality is fairly, sub not fairly, I think it's subjective and it's, and it's created. And I think that, you know, we all, I do think we have a common experience as humans, but there's always competing interests who are trying to dictate what your reality is. And I think some people are very passive. They're passive receivers. Like people tell them, this is what reality is. This is what your reality is. And they, they sit there and, and receive it and go through the motions. And there's people like me who feel like um, I would rather be the one to, to actively create reality for myself and then not trying to manipulate others. But the, I guess that the challenge is if I don't create a reality that is going to end up impacting others, someone else is going to do it. And what if they're nefarious? So maybe it's better if I'm doing it. So yeah. <laughs> Do you have a specific daily routine? I mean, I work out pretty much every day. I have like, I have patterns, right? Come back to patterns. So I, I tend to wake up early uh, between 4.30 and 5.30 a.m. To me, that's very normal. If I wake up at 6 or 6.30, I feel a little bit weird. It's very unlikely that I would sleep past seven, even if I went to bed late, because I'm just so wired to not do it. But if, if were that to happen, it would be uncomfortable for me which usually means I go to bed, you know, on the earlier side. I, I love I love being in bed by like 9.30. Uh, I honestly love being in bed by like 8.30 and, and reading for like an hour, right? I try to work out pretty much every day. Uh, so stretching and, and lifting. I think the physical really helps me with productivity as well. Uh, as far as creativity and like kind of deep work and, and Cause I, you know, I do a lot of stuff. Like I, I've run multiple companies. I'm invested in businesses. I'm an advisor to come all this stuff. So, but I love the act of actually writing and creating and everything. So I really try to do that early in the morning. And I try to schedule a couple hour block for almost every day. That's sort of like that deep work time where I get that done. So right now I'm working on a, um, you know, video sales letter, essentially like an infomercial, right? If people don't know what that is, an online infomercial. For a friend's company, I've known for a really long time. And so, uh, and I've got a ton going on. I've got, I mean, crazy, my calendar is crazy, but I basically blocked out, you know, two hours every morning this week to work on it. And then as long as I do that, I find that then I feel really good too, because I, I accomplished a lot and I'm making progress. And it's not like it's, it's due in a week. I, I takes me, I tell people like six weeks, eight weeks for a turnaround time on like a long format thing. So, but by doing it now, I don't feel stressed. Like I don't wait till the it's due. Uh, so things like that really help. And then I have a daughter. So, uh, you know, I, I tend to take her to school most mornings. And when I can, I pick her up. Uh, this week, my wife is doing, well, today, tomorrow and Thursday, it's Tuesday right now. She's going to be doing the mornings and afternoons, which is great because I've, I've got a lot going on this week. So we're trying to like find a good, you know, rhythm for that. Uh, but, you know, generally I try to stop working by like 3.30 a lot of days so I can pick my daughter up too. 
traditionally, there's a lot of, of, of people talk about research, knowing your prospect, market research, things like that. But it's very demographic driven, ultimately. So it's their, you know, your market is 35 to 55 year old women uh, with a medium inca- medium income, household income of, you know, $120,000 or more, and they enjoy XYZ. And it's sort of like very like basic. It, to me, that doesn't go nearly deep enough. I really like to go to like the, the psychographic component and, and going back to emotion, like I've talked about, uh, really understanding my prospect and their emotional state. Where are they at? Uh, what are their hopes and dreams, their victories and failures, their pain points? What outside forces do they believe may have stopped them from achieving their desired outcome? What are their prejudices? And I don't mean that in, in a really weird or loaded way. I mean it, for example, if you're you know, vegan, you might feel like a prejudice might be that people who eat meat are destroying the environment, right? You understand like these people's deep attitudes and, and beliefs. It makes a huge difference and also allows you to speak to people on a very emotional level. And then like I mentioned previously, when people see themselves in you or feel understood, they're much more likely to want to do business with you and, and, and buy from you and all of that, right? When they, like the trust, no like type of stuff here. And so because of that, I've created uh, within RMBC, which is my copywriting kind of program and course and methodology, uh, the first step R is for research. And uh, if people actually want to grab it, I can tell them, I, I'll basically give away the, the first module to people. If they want, they can, you can just go to SPG. So like my initial Stephen Paul George, I SPG.fun, F-U-N forward slash research. And you'll get the research module from my RMBC course for, uh, for free. So yeah, I did that because I just think it's so helpful. And it doesn't matter if you want to be a copywriter, you're a marketer, you're a public speaker, you're a C, like a CEO. It, it like, it really is something that everyone should, should go through. It just gives you a list of questions essentially that you should be able to like ask and answer to really understand your target market or prospective customers or even existing customers that you want to sell to more uh, on a deeper emotional level. So spg.fun forward slash research. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik.